Welcome to the game. It's a beautiful thing. With Mark Duffield. By golly gosh. The son of a darkened shearer and a self-described ball-playing jack of all trades. We shouldn't be surprised, should we? Who lit up footy fields in the southwest before becoming WA's preeminent AFL scribe. My goodness. And Glenn Quarterman. Wow, we a proud Victorian parked permanently in the West who would have played 300 AFL games if not for his incredibly small hands. Goodness gracious me! Together they are Duff, Duff and Quarters. Quarters. You know who? And this is your favourite footy, footy podcast. It's unbelievable! Yes, hello everybody. So Thursday afternoon, we're getting ready for another round of exciting AFL fixtures. It is the Duff and Quarters podcast. We're going to try and tip you a few winners and discuss a few of the big issues in AFL footy. As usual, we are brought to you by Tab Touch. Those with the touch, you can better your bet. Download the Tab Touch app today. Please gamble responsibly. Please call Gambler's Help on 1800 858 858 with any difficulties you encounter. Quarters, how are you, mate? I'm good, mate. We should point oh, out. I'm outside of the studio today. I'm yes. doing this from home and talking to you down the phone line. Yes. What's, um, what's jumped off the page at you so far today? It's been a busy couple of days, actually, in footy, mate. Um, I want to reference Buddy Franklin. So the talk is, um, all the talk this morning is that he's going to sign a one-year deal. So his 10-year deal, his 10-year $9 million deal uh, evaporates at the end of this season. Uh, many of us are stunned that he got to the end of that deal. I, I, I am one of those. But he uh, looks like he's ready to go against Sydney, want him to go again. So he's going to re-sign for next year. And he's even talking about the year after, if his body holds up. And he's 35 now. Next year will be season 18. And one of the most telling comments that was made was by Jordan Lewis last night. And he said, when we were at Hawthorne in our younger years, uh, Jared Rufford and myself just thought, there is no way Buddy will outlast us in our careers. And he referred to the unprofessional way he treated his body. He just said there's no way he'll have longevity. Well, there must be something in the genes because he has outlasted a lot of them. And uh, he's still going pretty well. I mean, he's not the player he was, but, geez, he's still a damn good player. And uh, I'm pretty excited that he's going on, actually. I I love him. I love watching him. Uh, So another year of Buddy after this year. So he's still got great star quality, hasn't he? And he's still an important part of that Sydney forward line. I think the the key for Buddy is going to be evolving into the player where not all roads lead to him. Uh, and so some lead to Logan McDonald. Some lead to Logan McDonald, and you know what? He's capable of doing that. We'll, we go back to the 2013 Grand Final where Hawthorne knew that Luke McFarlane was going to go to Lance Franklin. They didn't want Luke McFarlane in between them and the goals. So basically Buddy played further up the ground, took Luke McFarlane further away from the goals and uh, um, and and basically they were able to establish a trump card with um, uh, Jack Gunston who kicked four goals that day, of course, in a low-scoring game and was, was probably pretty close to winning a Norm Smith medal. So... Lance can be the other forward. Um, he's probably going to have to be if he's going to be a plus, not a minus for Sydney in uh, 2023. And you also look what he gives them off the field as well. Puts bums on seats. There's merchandise there. There's a lot of buzz around the Swans when he's there. And got to hand it to Sydney. Uh, the way that the squad is managed and the way Buddy is managed, um, they've done a very, very, very good job with him. 
Yeah, I'd agree with that. I, I think if you go back to look the um, at the year when Lance came to um, Sydney um, from Hawthorne, the spike in the spike in crowds is marked, and it stayed at that level right through his tenure. And the the years that he he's missed when he's had those hamstring issues, and it looked like it was going to finish his career. Um, basically, there was a dip in crowds again. So he puts bums on seats, always has, always will. Um, just as long as he fits in the structure, I think he'll be a plus for them, not a minus. So the other thing that jumped off the page at me was uh, Jordan Degoe. So he's now taken some personal leave. So he won't be playing this weekend. And I've just got to, I've got to refer to this quote from Eddie Maguire last night, uh, Duff. Uh, Eddie said, He lives in a parallel universe of Love Island, Married at First Sight and TikTok, but he deserves another chance. Yeah, got news for Eddie. He lives in our universe and <laughs> our world, and he plays in our AFL when he's uh, uh, held accountable to the standards of that competition. So he's a very good player. I expect him to still be in the AFL system next year unless he messes up big time again. Um, personal time off has not necessarily been a good thing for Jordan in the past, no. in the recent past. So um, you have to wonder, hopefully he, he uses it as a time of reflection and uh, getting himself to together and getting himself ready to really give this his best shot over the back half of the year. I think we both expect him to be in the AFL next year. Oh, he'll be in the AFL, yeah. But I think he's cost himself a lot of money already and it will that will be a mere fraction of the money that he cost himself if he messes up again between now and the end of the year because I think uh, right now he's on about strike 2.9 um, and it won't take much to tip him over the edge as far as unacceptable risk for a lot of clubs. And it'd be interesting to see how the Pies respond on Sunday. Obviously, there was some stuff going on with um, Ginevan and Quainer as well um, involving TikTok. He seems to very switched on coach Craig McRae, a very good man manager. So you'd expect them to be still a force on Sunday against GWS. They were entered the uh, by with a lot of momentum, so it'll be really interesting to see. Duff, another uh, some other news this morning. Tim English, uh, uh, which we expected to happen, but it's been um, inked. He has signed a two-year extension uh, to remain at the Western Bulldogs till the end of 2024. Um, that's significant news, as much for the signing as that will take him to restricted free agency. It's sort of so it sort of keeps his options open. Um, for a return here in two and a half years' time. The question is, will he be required? Of course, West Coast already on a rebuilding uh, mission and their immediate focus, I guess, will be young midfielders. Uh, Frio, of course, have a number one ruckman in Sean Darcy who'll be there for a long time. And we hear from Tim English, he's bought a home in Melbourne. He's living very close to his West Australian mate, Aaron Norton. Uh, he's enjoying life there. He's also enjoying playing as a first ruck rather than a forward ruck. And this year, he's leading all the categories, uh, all the stats, uh, possessions, hitouts, clearances um, on career average. So he's playing well little bit worrying with the, some concussions. He's missing this weekend's game against Hawthorne with a delayed concussion from that errant tackle. But great news for um, for him. Great news for the Western Bulldogs. And we'll see what happens in a couple of years' time. But he's right now he is um, he has shown his loyalty to that club. So 
this to me lines up pretty well for West Coast, doesn't it? At the end of 2024, because by that stage, um, Nick Natnui will probably be finished. Um, you'd expect Nick Natnui will play on in 2023, um, may even go on into 2024, but you wouldn't have thought he would go much beyond that. If they could pick up Tim English as a restricted free agent, not have to trade for him, um, by that stage, they'd be well and truly, while you would hope they'd be most of the way through a rebuild and uh, putting their hand up to play finals again, um, that that might dovetail nicely into what um, what they're trying to do. As you mentioned, he's more a number one ruckman now than a forward ruck, which basically means that um, he's almost not surplus to requirement at Fremantle because he's a very good ruckman, um, as well as uh, Sean Darcy is a very good ruckman. But Sean Darcy will be fairly well entrenched by that stage, I'd imagine, at Fremantle. So, yeah, that, I, would, I would imagine West Coast will watch his progress um, very um, closely over the next couple of years. Um, of course, they will probably have a tilt at Luke Jackson. But if I was a betting man, I, I'd be betting on Luke Jackson doing what Tim English has done, signing for a couple uh, and then re- reassessing, see if he can pitch another flag at Melbourne. Mm. Mate, we should pick some winners. We've got a lot of emails to get through a little later on, and also we have some uh, Jack Daniels to hand out later on, which is exciting. But let's go through the round, starting with Thursday night, that is tonight, Melbourne v Brisbane at the MCG. And we should mention, Duff, strap yourselves in, because this is the Armageddon of tipping rounds. Do you agree? I can't remember a tougher round than this. I went through them yesterday and tipped... um uh, tip my nine, and I couldn't be sure of any of them. Um, so yeah, I'm uh, I'm very nervous about this one. I, I suspect this round will will probably decide most of the tipping competitions because I reckon someone may come from three back and tip seven, and someone who's leading a competition might end up with two, three, or four. So um, uh, I'm going to go Melbourne in this one quarters. Um, I'm thinking Stephen May is a big in. I know they've got big outs, but I also think this is an opportunity for Luke Jackson to really show that the hype about him is justified. So no Max Gorn. Um, he gets Luke Jackson gets to lead the ruck to be the guy, um, show some responsibilities in his third season of AFL footy. Um, I think he's ready to do this, and uh, I'll be fascinated to see how he goes against the Brisbane Rucks. And um, Melbourne, as we discussed on Tuesday, have, a re- have quite a tough run home. So this is vital for them to get it back on track. They've um, on a losing streak at the moment, which we didn't wouldn't have thought of a month ago. But um, gone massive out. So you're, you're right, hundred percent about Luke Jackson. And I just think I agree with you. I'm picking Melbourne. Stephen May just gives that defence so much structure. It almost fell apart in his absence, uh, and he'll be, I'd suggest, wanting to put in a pretty strong performance given the events of the last few weeks. He'd want to uh, give the uh, story a new narrative, I would suggest, so I would think he'll play very well and they'll win. Yep, we love scandal and we love redemption. So he's been through the scandal, it's time for the redemption, which means stepping up and playing well and showing that he's a leader of the club. Um, absolutely. Um, I think what's big in footy now is how quickly you can come out of defence and how, with how much assertiveness you can come out of defence. And I just think they defend on the back foot when Stephen May's not there, which makes them less assertive, they get less rebound, less speed on the ball, and it makes them an ineffective team, basically. Um, I think he's big. Um, I I think he'll uh, um, he'll be he'll be a big plus for them. He'll be a bigger in, I reckon, than Max Gorn is now for Melbourne. Yeah, I just wonder with Melbourne, they've they've been what you'd call dirty ball into their forward fifty well before Stephen May 
um, was out of that team. So that is also an area they have to address. But you're right, that that quick trigger from uh, defence is so important to them and hopefully they can fix their forward 50 entries up. Friday night, it's the double header. Uh, the first match, Western Bulldogs v Hawthorne at Marvel Stadium starting at 5pm our time, Duff. Some significant outs for... Um, the Western Bulldogs and significant ins for Hawthorne. Obviously, one of those outs for the Dogs is Tim English with delayed concussion. For Hawthorne, Mitch Lewis comes in. They're anticipating Jack Gunston to return and also another Box Hill debutante picked up in the mid-year draft, uh, surname Blank. So it's a headline writer's dream duff this weekend. Fill in the blanks. Fill in the blanks, exactly. We can do that. Blankety blanks. (laughs) So Western Bulldogs $1.40, Hawthorne $3 with Tab Touch. Incidentally, the betting on the previous game, um, Melbourne were $1.60 favourites, Brisbane $2.35 with Tab Touch. So what, based on what you're telling me, Quarters, I think the Hawks are a bit over at $3. Do you massively think? over. I did not see that $3 line. I'm, uh, I actually like that. I might have a little nibble at that, very responsibly, of course. So, okay, but... Um, just off scratch, who wins? No, I'm picking the dogs. Uh, too much to lose. Hawthorne's been almost a really good team. Struggling to put four quarters together. You could argue they did probably have three and a half quarters against the Dockers. Um, but I just have... Look, it's it's easily a game Hawthorne could win. But I just think the dogs, you know I'm on them still. You know I'm, I'm riding them into the, into the eight. Too much to lose. I think they've got the midfield still that can take care of Hawthorne. Um, yeah, I'm going to go with the dogs, but those um, outs for them and the ins for Hawthorne give me cause for great concern. I definitely think the Hawks are overs at $3, uh, but I'll stay with the Bulldogs. I think this will be really, really close. And I think this is almost elimination final time for the dogs. If they don't get over this, um, you suspect they're not going to get enough momentum to be able to climb past enough teams to get into the bottom end of the eight. With the greatest respect to my boys, Duff, if they don't get over the top of Hawthorne, they don't deserve to be there. Uh, yeah, correct. That's right. Exactly uh, right. The other game on Friday night. Now, this intrigues me. You've already given us your pick on Tuesday for this game. Yeah, I'm going to be bold like you. I'm going to be the blind squirrel this week, quarters. I'm going to go. West Coast so, to uh, beat Essendon at Optus Essendon. Stadium. So Essendon are $1.47 with Tab Touch. West Coast at $2.70. Look, I just think I liked what I saw about West Coast last week. I know that they lost McGovern and obviously McGovern may not play again this year. That's a, um, a big out for them and, and terrible luck for him given that he was one player, I thought, who set a standard for West Coast early in the season. So um, sometimes you don't get rewarded for effort and I think that's happened to Jeremy McGovern a bit, um, injury shooting him down and obviously that rib injury has proved to be a very nasty one. Sounds like there's a punctured lung in there somewhere from the way Adam Simpson was talking um, this week after they tried to initially play it down. I just think I'm not convinced about Essendon. Um, I think they got St Kilda on an off night last week. Um, is that going to be enough to reinforce what is the template for good footy from Essendon? I'm not convinced it will be. And I think West Coast have a bit to build on based on their effort against Geelong last week. Um, they need to they need to give their fans at home something, I think. And um, they haven't given them much so far this year. They haven't won in front of them. Um, they've got a very long drought at home. It's time to step up and win one. 
there were enough indicators there last week to suggest they can. Um, so I'll be fascinated to see how they go in this one. Yeah, they've had the core of a good side there for a while, though West Coast, and they haven't got the job done. So I'm going to go the other way. I I am not. I have not yet got the faith stuff in the Eagles to pick them to win this game. I'm, I know I'm going to rue this decision, but I'm going to go with Essendon. Um, you're right. They did get St Kilda on an off night. They just I hate using the phrase, but almost as if they didn't turn up the Saints, as if they expected to get the job done. And they um, were back in the meaty part of mediocrity, they, as you would say. Oh, quarters. they were very much so. Very <laughs> much so. Um, so I'm going to go with Essendon, but it's with 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 great trepidation that I do so. Um, obviously, we need to see the likes of Jake Stringer stand up and maintain the form he showed in the last round. Um, West Coast, look, I think we've got um, some more bad news with Dom Sheed. Hot spot in the foot, we should mention Nick Nat. Probably going to return through um, West Coast Waffle Team this weekend, either on Friday night um, with with the Waffle Team or even on Saturday with the Reserves. And he will be playing mainly centre bounces, we believe. So just a bit of a to get a bit of work into the tank there. Um, so if they've been consistent with what they've uh, appeared to have settled on in terms of getting team uh, getting players ready to play, um, basically, I think they've they've agreed amongst themselves that the way they did it last year wasn't good. That that um, players just being stumped up half fit to play AFL footy wasn't the way to do it. So I hope they go through the waffle with Nick. Um, I hope they give him some limited minutes this week and then they give him some extended minutes next week and then they get him ready to play AFL footy. And I think that gives him the best chance of being set up for success. Um, And and also I think Callum Jamison has been not an unqualified success story, but a qualified success story for them. He's rucked reasonably well. He's shown a bit. You know, let's test the kid's stamina and see how long he can go and continue to perform and continue to compete. And then hopefully in a week or two, if Nick's ready to play, then Callum might be ready for a rest and uh, and approach it that way. So I hope that they go about that got way. a big job ahead of him. Draper's a good player. It's a, he's a player. Draper's a really good player. Yeah, player I really rate. So he, it's going to be a tough, tough assignment for him this weekend again. But, hey, it's the AFL. They're all good players' yep. quarters. Yep. So I think it's a really good challenge for the kid. Most of them, Duff, not all. Um, okay. <laughs> on Saturday, Saturday, your boys, Marvel Stadium against Carlton. So, so a dollar seventy-seven, the Dockers, two dollars five, Carlton, despite being at home. Um, but I get the feeling that look, I'm usually half a pessimist about Freo. I think I do a bit of happiness insurance with my tipping when it comes to Freo. You know, tip the other team yep. if it's a marginal game. At least you get the tip right if Fremantle loses. Um, I'm pretty bullish about them this weekend quarters. I, I think they can win this. Um, I think the Blues are a bit vulnerable. And I think um, Fremantle's just tracking reasonably nicely. Even with the loss of Sam Switkowski, um, who, according to the champion data rankings, is Fremantle's only elite player, mm-hmm. um, I, I think that um, uh, I think Michael Frederick will be a good in. Um, and he will give them an effective replacement for Switkowski. And I think they have the tall forwards to expose Carlton's weakness in the tall defensive area. And I think they have the tall defenders to take out Carlton's strength, which is their two tall forwards, Harry McKay yeah. and Charlie Curnow. That's the area I looked at and I thought, I trust this Fremantle defence to take those two. Um, contested ball will be big in this game. I think Fremantle will, will be well up for that. Um, you know, 
this Carlton, you almost feel a bit sorry for them. They've just had no luck in that back half at all. Uh, it'll be interesting to see. They're, 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 you know, we expect them to play finals, but they can't afford to lose too many games. We know Weedering's not far away, I think. But um, I'm going to pick Frio like you, Duff. I have faith in them. Uh, I'll be interested to see how they go after the bye because I always get nervous after a break. Yeah, well, that's, I think that applies to every team, though, doesn't it? Yes, you it know, does. You're, you're rolling along nicely. You've got good momentum. You've got players in a groove. Then suddenly you take that week off. Um, how do they use it? How does it affect them mentally as much as how does it affect them physically? All those things will be factors. But, um, yeah, I, as I say, um, I'm quite bullish about the Dockers this weekend. All right, another big game, another marginal game. Uh, Geelong versus Richmond, Saturday afternoon. Geelong with Tab Touch, the most marginal of favourites, $1.85. Richmond are $1.95. Um, where are we at with the Cats and Tigers quarters? Well, I'm picking Geelong to win this game. Richmond, I'm just not sure to, if, if I trust them enough yet. They haven't done, they haven't beaten enough quality yet for me to think they can take care of Geelong this weekend. Look, I'll, I'll know after this weekend, I think we'll know a hell of a lot more about Richmond and where they're at. Um, I've just got a feeling they're not quite up to where Geelong is at the moment. I'm pretty happy to go with the Cats. Yeah, I think this is going to be a really great indicator to the business end of the season. I reckon the team that loses this game, I suspect, is probably not going to be a factor in the final four. Um, they may still play finals, but I don't see them being a factor in the final four. So, um, And I'm, I'm like we, you with Richmond. I haven't quite seen enough. Um, the, the Cats, are, they're purring along nicely, but having said that, they laboured to a three-goal win over West Coast last week. That's as close as West Coast has been to anybody over the last two months. Mm. So that's not necessarily, you know, imperious form by any stretch of the imagination. Um, this is going to be a fascinating watch. Obviously, both these teams have impeccable credentials. They were the 2020 grand finalists. Um, Richmond has been, you know, a dynasty since 2017, and Geelong just continues turning up to play in September. So um, a fascinating watch. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how the Tigers cope with the Twin Towers, um, Hawkins and Cameron, because Robbie Tarrant struggling a bit. Um, clearly, Dylan Grimes will set up to play on one of those tools, uh, but the other one may be a problem. Tarrant's uh, got a, I think he's broken a knuckle too. It, it could be in de- some doubt. So there you go. That's going to make it even tougher. And no, no, Noah Bolter. I think Noah Bolter yep. has a hamstring injury, so it may be a stretch for Richmond to cope with the the Geelong tall forwards. I'll tell you, it won't happen if Shy Bolton runs into an open goal. He won't be showing it to the opposition this week. Well, we wouldn't think so. But having said that, you wouldn't think that Jordan Degoe would go overseas and mess up again during a break either. But uh, mm. strange things do happen in the AFL. They quarters. do. They do. Um, again, Saturday night. There are no easy ones. Sydney, who have been a little underwhelming of late, against St Kilda, who were pathetic last outing. Yeah, so I'm going to tip Sydney, but I think I think we'll get bounce out of St Kilda in this game. I just I was really disappointed with the Saints last week. Um, it may be that Essendon were better. Um, but St Kilda looked off and they looked like when they had the five goal surge in the third quarter and got up on even terms with the Bombers, they almost like put the tools down again and sort of went, oh, well, we've done enough. We've got control of the game. So they, I thought they made a few assumptions. I don't think they will 
uh, in this game. I think they've been very, for, for the most part this year, they've been a real working class team and that's been one of their hallmarks and one of their trademarks and one of the things that stood them in good stead. Um, I expect them to come to play, but having said that, Sydney will want to rebound. They were pretty ordinary against Port Adelaide in Adelaide last week. Um, bullied, um, you know, intimidated, I would say. Um, no team likes to feel like that coming out of a game. I expect a strong response from them, and I expect them to just get over the line. Um, Tab Touch says they'll get over the line. They are $1.45 favourites. The Saints, $2.75 outsiders in this. I'm picking Sydney as well, Duff. On to Sunday, North Melbourne v Adelaide, down in Hobart. Strangely, I'm picking Adelaide, and I have the most confidence with this tip from the whole round. Yeah, well, I'd agree with that. Uh, look, you wouldn't if Ben Cunnington was playing. Yeah. If Ben Cunnington was playing in Hobart, where his form is absolutely imperious against um, a team that's, let's face it, just a solid team in Adelaide, um, if you get above a certain level, you beat the Crows. That's been the indication. The Crows are second week on the road. They went to um, the Gold Coast last week and got overrun um, by the Suns. So, you know, whether the travel affects them um, the second week in a row, although as um, Mick Malthouse used to say about um, the trip from South Australia to the East Coast, he said it's like a tram ride down Burke Street. Yeah, but Gold, uh, Gold Coast to Hobart. Well, they go back to Adelaide and then down to Hobart. I mean, I imagine the trip from Adelaide to Hobart's not that long, no, but no, having no. said that, um, it is still two weeks on, on and off planes and in and out of airports. So let's see how that affects them. You would hope that North Melbourne puts its best foot forward in this game, wouldn't you? Because they've, they've really been a pretty disappointing outfit this year. I know they're young um, and I know they're missing key personnel and lost key personnel over summer, but uh, you'd want some of their good young players to stand up a bit more. Obviously, no Jason Horn francis in this mm. game. Um, and as I understand it, no Jack Zeeble either. Yeah, they're, they're, yeah, absolutely. They for their fans, for their rusted-on fans, you just want to see a bit of bit of effort, don't you? You don't want to see these first quarters where they don't show up and then they sort of shake their head and realise, hang on, we've got a game of footy here and we've got to get back into it. So, look, I'm picking Adelaide, but it, it could be interesting. North win, West Coast win. You could have those two sides that have won one game for the year, both, both saluting this weekend. We'll see what happens. Uh, Collingwood at VGWS at the MCG on Sunday, early afternoon, our time. Collingwood, as I said earlier, interesting to see how they rebound from a, like a period where really it should have been a very quiet period of reflection uh, and building towards the second half. Instead, they've you know had a wall of controversy in front of them. So I think I'm going to pick them. Um, I think if... Uh, look, GWS, you've got to like their form um, since Leon Cameron stepped aside. You've got to like the form of Toby Green. We love him, Duff, we know. We, we don't like what he's done on the field. He doesn't play enough footy. But so far this year, since his return, it's been a, a more disciplined Toby Green. Kicked seven in a losing side last week. You can't do much more than that. But having said that, I like the Pies. I like the way they're going about it, and I love the way they're coached. It's going to be fun to watch this one, isn't yeah. it? Because yep. um, Collingwood play very aggressively. They're trying to play like Richmond were playing during those, those 
dynasty years right up until the, the end of 2020. And, of course, GWS with um, Mark McVeigh in the, in the seat, they just want to take the game on and they want to go through the corridor and they want to back themselves in to kick goals. Um, you know, basically acknowledge the fact they've got talented players forward to centre and give them the best opportunity. So, yeah, I'm going to love watching this one. Um, Tab Touch has Collingwood clear favourites, $1.45, um, GWS $2.75. I, th- I like the pies in this one. I think the goey's a significant out, though. I think if you look at um, what is making Collingwood a contender, um, a big part of that is the performance of their mature, aged and, and mature body players. And Dugowie has been one of the keys to that. Um, so he's going to leave a big hole in their in their team. Um, they've got a lot at stake, though, whereas I think GWS are playing, you know, they, they're just playing to enjoy their footy and, uh, and playing to try and establish some method and some credibility um, as they search for a new coach um, between now and the end of the season and, and into the off-season. So, um, pies for me. Last game of round 15. Duff, can you believe it's round 15, by the way? Port Adelaide v Gold Coast at Adelaide Oval. I suppose on a par with the North Adelaide game, I'm picking Port, despite how impressive Gold Coast has been. Probably the most impressive season they'd had. I'm not sure how the numbers stack up. I know they've been on the sort of verge of finals when um, Ablett Jr. was around, but it's good to see them. Where are they? 19th, 11th place on the ladder. So building into something here, seven wins and six losses so far. Uh, I'm going to pick Port Adelaide because it's the Adelaide Oval only. Yeah, $1.42 favourites, Port Adelaide, $2.85 outsiders, Gold Coast. Um, Look, if Gold Coast want to announce themselves as the real deal, as absolute genuine contenders, here is the opportunity to do it. Incidentally, great to see Will Powell, Mm. um, photos of him giving the thumbs up after the surgery on his ankle, um, that horrific injury that turned us all off our food, I think, um, on Sunday afternoon. Port were very good in disposing of Sydney. Um, love Connor Rosie in the midfield. I love the season that Todd Marshall's putting together. But there's also a lot to like about what Gold Coast are doing. There's a real sustainability to it, I think. And when you think that next year you might put Ben King back yeah. into this and have him as the spearhead, then you really start cooking with gas then. So, Isn't it a pity uh, we haven't? he's not there this year? I think well, at Gold Coast, and I think, and, but look, although they can build something and then anticipate what they look like next year, but I just would have loved to have seen him at um, full forward for them this year. Oh yeah, I reckon that. Like, I reckon they'll get great belief out of being able to do this much and do this well without him in the team, knowing that he can't back into the team. I think, like, if you like look at Fremantle and and what they've been able to do without Nathan Five gives them great belief when Nathan Five returns, doesn't it? Um, I think that Ben King back into that team just adds a, a, a completely different dimension to them. Matt Rowell starting to become the player we thought he was when he first stepped onto AFL fields. Uh, Noah Anderson just playing really yeah. good footy week in, week out, always wins a mountain of ball. And Rankine. And- Rankine's been good, hasn't he? He's, he's starting to produce a bit of consistency. Turn the corner, absolutely turn the corner. And he's still got – he's doing team things all the time, but he's still got that element of genius to him. That goal that he set up, I think it was a handball over the top to someone in the goal square, but just toe-poked it clear of a diving opponent, flicked it up to himself almost, one grab touch, flick over the top, bang, it's a goal. Made it look so easy that it was ridiculous and anyone else would have made a hash of it. He's a very, very talented player. Yes. Um, starting to think like a team player and starting to look like he belongs in the AFL. So there's a lot to like about them. Um, 
but Port Adelaide maybe just a little too steady at home. So it's only the one we disagree on, which is West Coast and Essendon, I think, from that. So we're both going to get three out of nine then. Oh, well, hey. oh no, I'm, no, no, no. Don't write us off yet, mate. I reckon four is par this weekend. Yeah, I well, I reckon five. If you if you're better than five's 50, a good week. No, five's good this weekend. I'll take five now, Duff. Hey, uh, what do you make of the the bid to lure Robbie Williams to provide the entertainment on Grand Final Day? Hate it. it. Well, I'll tell you why I hate it. Yep, I've seen on. I've seen Robbie Williams perform. I saw it probably saw him perform when he was at his zenith, which was in the two thousands. He's a fantastic entertainer. But that's what you go to to see stadium concerts for. I don't like AFL Grand Final Day. Play the bloody homegrown talent. Stop going overseas. I want to showcase our talent. I don't. We don't need. We've got great musicians. We've got great bands in Australia. Have had for decades. Showcase them on our biggest day stage, please. Especially when the uh, overseas talent costs you several million dollars yeah, to get just, them. In. You know, we know. It's. I don't get it. I don't get it. I thought you might jump on board and take a ride. Oh, please. very good. Very good. Did you just Google that? <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Saddle up your camel. It's time for the Thirsty Camel Mailbag. Yes, thank you to Thirsty Camel. And thank you to Jack Daniels because this week, Duff, we're giving away a, a 10-pack of Jack Daniels Old Number 7 Whiskey and Cola cans. Please keep sending in your emails. We've had heaps again. Um, please keep them as short as you can, and please let us know whether you are from the great state of Western Australia. You cannot win the 10-pack if you're from outside because you need to come and get your voucher from here. Duff, this and one... Have you tried the Jack Daniels Old Number 7 yet, Glenn? I haven't. I haven't had the opportunity yet. I've been too busy. So between now and next Tuesday, the That's challenge for both of us is to do the taste test on the Jack Daniels Old Number 7. So um, at some point over the next day or so, I'm wandering down to my local bottle shop and I'm going to grab um, a couple of uh, bevies and bring them home and give them a go. Jeez, it's not going to be difficult, mate. You're asking me to drink alcohol. Jeez, I <laughs> Uh, this one from Asman. Hi, Duffin Quarters. If you had to choose a core of players to lead the rebuild for West Coast from the existing playing group, who would you choose and who would you be your first choice? My reasons for it, my core and reasons for it would be McGovern, defence and leadership. Then Allen, goals. Ryan, goals and excitement because you need that in a rebuild. Rioli, excitement and mercurial ability. Barras, solid defence, and Kelly, solid midfielder. Um, I I can't disagree with that. I think they're a good core group, although you know my thoughts on McGovern. I think he is very – you could get good value for him if you did trade him out, but you and I disagree on that. I'd keep McGovern, but if you're looking at the core, so therefore the ones that are going to be there in four years' time, um, I'm saying Tom Barras. I think he's your absolute must-keep in defence, um, and he just underlined that with his efforts against Tommy Hawkins last weekend. Oscar Allen is your absolute must-keep in attack. You know, he's, what, 23 years old. He's going to be there for another eight years. He's going to be your main forward in probably another two years' time. Um, absolutely has to be uh, still at the club. Tim Kelly, I think, is the one midfielder that is young enough to still be there 
when you really re-emerge as a, as a powerful team. He's, what's he, about 27 now? So, therefore, he might be 30, 31 when you're, when you're back in the top six and, um, and, and looking to play in a preliminary final. Um, they would be the ones. Everyone else, I reckon, is you know fairly negotiable. You'd like to think Liam Ryan would be part of that. I'd be, I'd be exploring trade options for Willie Rioli, to be honest. You've said I, that. I just reckon that Willie Rioli had two years away from the game. He had a long time to get himself right, to recommit and make the most of a second chance. He kind of turns up, you know, not quite as fit as you'd like him to be. Um, he plays not quite as well as you'd like him to. And the Rioli name, I suspect, will mean people will be interested. So what are you giving up for Willie if you're a um, an interstate club? Oh, I don't think he's a first-round pick. No, second round. I think he's a second round. But if, if, if he got West Coast to pick under 30 um, in the draft, I think if I was West Coast, I'd be looking long and hard at it. Um, uh, so, yeah, I'd, I'd show a fair bit of interest in that if I was West Coast. Someone maybe who... Might not be quite as talented as Willie, but is a little bit more bankable, um, a little bit more turn up and play every week, uh, play well, turn up every February in really good shape, um, ready to play a really big season. I think that, um, yeah, I'd be looking at that. Uh, this one from Dylan Spencer. Uh, what are your thoughts on the introduction of a third man in rule when the ball is in dispute on the ground? If it's two players, just let them sort it out. One will eventually emerge or be deemed holding the ball. If a third player goes on and locks the ball in, which is so often what they are doing, then penalise with a free kick to the opposition. Well, there's often three players there at the start. That's the problem. What does one of them have to leave the building if there's already mm. already one of their you know a player from their team in the in the fight? I think that's very difficult. I think the game's tough enough to umpire as it is without adding that little uh, um, time bomb to to the umpire's job. Yeah, I would say um, it sounds good in theory and would probably work well in practice if you could officiate it. But I think it would be almost impossible to officiate. Uh, this one from Aaron from Hammond Park. Uh, hi, Duff and Quarters. Following on from a discussion last Thursday about commentary surrounding umpire calls, I wanted to get your opinions on something I have thought for a long time. Why don't broadcasters employ former umpires as special comments commentators? Each game there is easily a decision, non-decision call a quarter that commentators try to dissect. So why not have a former umpire involved to explain potential reasoning, the laws of the game, or even comment on umpiring techniques such as positioning? I don't mind this call, but I, I wouldn't like necessarily to see it in game. I th- sorry, during a quarter, I wouldn't mind seeing it at half time. Maybe you could get a couple of um, decisions, have a look at them at half time. Maybe comment on how the flow of the game's going. Um, I, I, I quite like that. I, I tell you one segment I do like. It's um, Ray Chamberlain does a, a one on Melbourne radio during the week, and it's. Um, very, very informative um, to listen to an umpire's perspective on why certain decisions are made. Yeah, I love that. I, I love the idea. And, and I'm with you, not um, in the blow-by-blow, kick-by-kick um, as the game is happening. But, you know, let's say um, back in the studio when they're dissecting the game at halftime and there's been a couple of controversial calls, have the umpire come in and say, well, this is why the umpire would have made that call. Um, look at where he's standing. You know, he wouldn't have seen it. He was on the blind side. They're told not to guess or these are the triggers they look for for that decision. I kind of got tired of tearing my hair out watching games, wondering why umpires um, 
made certain calls. And so I started using the resource at my disposal quarters, mm-hmm. which is, of course, is our colleague, Craig O'Donoghue. Oh, yeah. Senior waffle umpire, um, very measured. He's a f- former coach of the waffle umpires, so he's very measured and very sensible when it comes to these things. And you turn to, to Craig or Cod, as we know him, and would just say, "Why was that that Craig, or why wasn't that called, or why why did they decide that way?" And usually, he'd have a perfectly logical explanation um as to why the call had gone that way every now and again he'd say oh, i think they just got that wrong mm. um you know i don't i don't know how they came up with that call and very rarely would you end up still arguing with him about why the call was made so usually you would understand at least the reasons for making the call even if you still thought the call might have been marginal or wrong so i i really like that really like that tell you what's tough is when you go to the footy and you're with someone who has not seen much footy before or their their first ever game and they try, start asking you about umpiring decisions. You can't answer half of them. No. You, you explain the reasoning, but this is what I think they've done, but it's like it's not necessarily they're like, well, shouldn't it be more clear-cut than that? And then you have to explain, like, it is a tough game to umpire. It's a 360 game. They're not always have the best angle. It is tough. But, yeah, I, I challenge anyone to go to the football with someone who's a first-timer and explain the rules. Now, Duff, this next um, email, I've, I've sort of got a clubhouse leader already, but this guy has sent an email. It's very dear to my heart. So he's going to be – you and I might have to have a vote on this at the end. This is from yep. Zach from Margaret River. I love this. Afternoon, gents. After watching Seinfeld recently, I think I may have found the solution to West Coast horror season. It's a bit left field but may be wise advice with the Castore deal about to end. In the words of the great George Costanza, to Buck Showalter, give the players cotton jumpers rather than polyester. Imagine the boys running around five degrees cooler than everyone else. They'll be cooler, (laughs) more comfortable and happier. Of course, they'll then play better. Feel free to pass this on to Trevor Nisbet. I reckon I'm onto something big. Of course, he's referring to the great George Costanza. In fact, I'm drinking out of a cup as we speak. My favourite coffee mug, which says, it's not a lie if you believe it. Which is George (laughs) Lewis Costanza. I love that email, Zach. Um... Oh yeah, you're in. You're in the clubhouse. We'll have have to have a vote in a little while. Um, this one from Chris from East Frio. High Duff and Quarters. Very interesting news this week. With I uh, know oh, you'll love this one, Duff. Luke Jackson being offered ten point five million over seven years by Frio, and Lockie Neal to request a trade back to Frio in twenty twenty three. Have I salary cap anyone? <laughs> Um, yeah, yeah. Bit of kite flying there. Well, I, uh, it's just undoable, a... really, isn't it? Well, well, Lockie Mill, maybe not. We've discussed this one, but everything would have to be right for Frio. Well, even Lockie Neal, um, you know, how do you do the deal? Mm. Brisbane gave up a lot mm. to get Lockie Neal in the door. Uh, Lockie Neal is still in supposedly Brownlow medal winning form. Um, that's not the sort of player you let just walk out the door when you're in the premiership window, which Brisbane would consider themselves in this year and would probably still consider themselves in next year. Um, so I would say that they would want a lot. Um, and I would say Fremantle would not be willing to give up a lot to, to get a player who's 30 years old. And don't underestimate this. 
I mean, one of the things, and Paul Hazelby said this today in a column in the West Australian, Fremantle is a club aligned from top to bottom at the moment. Lockie Neal was a player who walked out of the club mid-contract. Mid-contract. Didn't go home, went to another city to play footy and a non-football city to play footy. I'm, call me crazy, call me bitter, but I'm not that open to Lockie Neal coming back in the door at at Fremantle. I know he's a really good player, but I just don't consider him part of the furniture anymore. And uh, I wonder how bringing a player like that back in the door um, would affect team harmony because I suspect there'd be some players, particularly players whose position in the team might be affected, who'd be going, oh, yeah, well, that's great. That's a great reward for loyalty, isn't it? Um, And as for the Luke Jackson one, do the math, people. Fremantle has a $13 million salary cap. And $10.5 million over seven years is $1.5 million a year. Luke Jackson is at the moment a second ruckman who has kicked seven goals in 12 games, playing the role of forward ruck at Melbourne. Um, Fremantle has a first ruckman in Sean Darcy, so therefore Luke Jackson would have to be the second ruck, the forward ruck, playing the role that Rory Lobb plays at the moment. Rory Lobb playing that same role has kicked 21 goals. Now, I know Rory's 29 and Luke Jackson is expected to get much better, but I think I'd be waiting and seeing a bit before I paid Luke Jackson anything close to a million dollars, and I suspect that Fremantle has the same view. So I think that one's pie in the sky as well. I would never call you crazy, and I would certainly never call you bitter, Duff. Um, (laughs) This one from Ethan from Dianella. I wanted to get your thoughts on a slight change to the advantage rule. In the AFL, umpires will blow the whistle and then wait to see if there's an advantage. This can lead to all the players stopping, which lets one player gain an unfair advantage, like running into an open goal. In some cases, it can make for pretty ugly viewing, and it is frustrating to see as a fan. In junior sport, you're always taught to play the whistle. I'd like to see the AFL implement a similar system to many other sports around the world where umpires check for advantage first and then pay the free if there is none. That's a good email. I I actually do think there's a lot of inconsistency around this stuff and it does catch opposition teams off guard at times. So we are one of the few sports in the world that blows the whistle before deciding on advantage. Um, In rugby union, you'll hear the... um, the referee yell, um, advantage, advantage. Um, in other words, he's seen a foul, um, but he's paying the advantage before he blows the whistle and stops the play. Um, the correspondent is absolutely right. The, the blowing of the whistle, if you're supposed to play to the whistle, means that players are going to stop, which means that one team is almost automatically going to be disadvantaged by the call. Um, so, yeah, it would be great to see umpires be able to to let the play go and play the advantage without blowing the whistle. But unfortunately, the way our game has been geared over the years is that they blow the whistle, then pay the advantage, and it's kind of back to front, and it doesn't quite work. Uh, This one from Richard from Perth. Um, I'm surprised with all the talk regarding a team in Tasmania and the idea of North Melbourne being relocated as an option, um, including on this podcast. There has been no mention of the impact this would have on the North Melbourne women's team. That's a very fair point. Being semi-professional, it could be argued the impact on the team would be more severe than the men's. Your kind thoughts would be appreciated. That's a really good point, um, that making the assumption, of course, that the North Melbourne women's team would follow the men's team to... That's right, um, they, and, they not, and they wouldn't necessarily do so, would they? Well, they play a lot of footy down in Tasmania now, more so than the men's team does, so one does not necessarily follow the other. Um, Tasmania continues to make it clear 
they would prefer to have their own team. In fact, they're adamant. They want their own team. They don't want a relocated team. It'll be interesting to see what transpires if they cannot get to a point where they can get that and whether they would agree to a relocated team as a fallback position. But having said that, then you've still got to get North Melbourne to agree to it. And North Melbourne is equally adamant. They don't want to go. So um, it's a... I, I suspect Tasmania is going Sydney or the bush on this one. They're, they're going, we want the 19th licence. And they're pretty much putting it on the AFL, basically saying, you've done a lot of damage in this state by not um, giving us an AFL team to date. The code might be gone here completely unless you do it now, um, that this is now or never. Um, so that's an interesting position for Tasmania to adopt. There are going to be a lot of hurdles they're going to have to jump. I reckon that... The AFL is going to put it on them that basically you have to build a stadium. The stadium is going to have to have a roof um, and your government is going to have to guarantee an investment of 10 to $15 million a year in the club to make sure that it's uh, financially viable and that the AFL isn't having to put in $20 million a year in um, in uh, its uh, dividends that it pays to the various clubs to, to prop it up. Um, so all those things have got to happen, I think, for the Tasmanian team to occur. If you were a betting man quarters, do you think there will be a Tasmanian team in the competition in five years? I do, Duff. I think um, we know it has to requires a two-thirds veto, but um, I think there will be. But I, I suspect it may have to be North Melbourne as a relocated team, um, even a North Melbourne that plays some games in Melbourne. I don't want to. I hate seeing teams relocate and teams fold up as as they've been known for a long time. And North Melbourne's case, almost a hundred years in the in the VFL dash AFL. Uh, but I just, I don't know if there's an option. It's, it's it's heading down that path. So I'm a betting man. Yes, there will be. Okay, so um, the AFL has to rule on this in August. August. Now the other thing you mentioned two thirds veto. They've actually spun that around. So this will be a commission decision. So let's say the commission opts to bring in a Tasmanian team. They need two-thirds club support yes. for their decision, not the other way around. Normally it would take two-thirds of the clubs to veto the commission decision. So they've raised the bar on this one, um, which is an interesting thing, which people have interpreted as maybe the AFL is going a bit lukewarm on this, would be happy to see the clubs tip it over. I'm not so sure about that. I, no, I think basically... They, they just want full commitment, I think, before they go down this path. You get the feeling, as part as, as well as a new TV rights deal and probably um, Robbie Williams at the grand final, it sort of feels like it's Gil McLaughlin's legacy a little bit. So I just, I've just got the feeling this is going to get through. I, I actually hope it does. Yeah, I'm, I've gotten to the point where, provided the Tasmanian government is prepared to build a stadium that is a bit weatherproofed, and I know that... Tasmanian people will get it, get stuck into us and say, oh, the weather's near down here is not that bad. Uh, we've seen the footage of the games where yep. the ball blows back over the player's head and that sort of thing. That may not happen very often, but it does happen there. I don't like the idea of them splitting games between Hobart and Launceston. I think if they're going to have a team, they need to pick a city and that's where that team plays. And, and you that, play it in Hobart. That has to be Hobart. Um, and provided the Tasmanian government is prepared to stump up a significant amount of money, I think 
we have the players to do this. Um, if the mid-season draft tells us anything, there is a group of players just below AFL level that are capable of stepping in and playing good AFL footy. And we saw an example of that just last weekend with Bryn Teekle running around uh, for Port Adelaide before he injured his shoulder. Of course, D'Ambrosio also played. And while Jai Cully hasn't played yet for West Coast, showed some really good signs in the waffle. So the mid-season rookie draft is showing... There is depth of players there, I think, um, and uh, I think we can get this done, but it'll be interesting to see how the other AFL clubs view it. Really interesting point on the stadia or the stadium down there in Hobart um, that they're proposing. Spectator um, habits have changed stuff, and they've, ha- they've changed during COVID. Um, there are fewer people been going to the football, and that's going to be interesting to see whether there's a correction back on that or whether people now just love watching it at home, the comforts of their lounge room, which will, you know, thrill the broadcasters, but we still want bums on seats. Um, But I think people expect a level of comfort now, and I think an enclosed stadium at Hobart would be what they would anticipate. I just don't think as many people would go to a cold, blustery stadium, particularly in Hobart in the middle of winter. Um, And I think you keep the design simple, which is like a single tier with a steep incline out from the boundary line, and corporates on top of that, if you keep um, keep it to single tier, the cost of building it is lower. Yeah. Um, one of the interesting things about Subiaco Oval, the old Subiaco Oval, you know how they had the three-tier stand down the end? Yep. Um, so the initial plan when they built that three-tier stand was that that would be on the wing and they would swing the ground around. Had they just made that a two-tier stand, they could have uh, enclosed half the ground um, instead of having that small three-tier stand behind the goals. Such is the difference between going up and going along. So Mm. if they build a roof stadium with a single tier um, and then corporates on top of the single tier, I think they'll be able to get good bang for their buck. Um, they'll be able to get a roof on the stadium, good comfort for the spectators, probably have 25,000 in plus corporates. Um, I think that'll be a good outcome for Tasmania. Okay, one last one. This one from Nick from Leaderville, WA. Hi, guys. Love, love, love the show. I've been listening for about four years. We love you too, Nick. My question is regarding Frio's conditioning program heading into September. I've attributed some of Melbourne and Brisbane's recent patchy form to heavier workloads at training in preparation for a deep run into the finals. Chris Scott acknowledged he is doing the same at Geelong. To your knowledge, has Frio's conditioning program factored in for this because I don't think they were planning on going deep into the finals? Definitely they wanted to make the eight and hopefully win a final. Hopefully fitness prevailing, they are poised for a big September. And how do you feel about the theory that you need to have finals experience before you get success? What are your wise heads thinking about how free, what are Frio's chances in September? I'm hoping for the ultimate success, but realistically a preliminary final would be awesome. Well, I'm still just saying if Fremantle can make the finals, host a final, win a final, I think that's there's a lot to be ticked off on this season. Naturally, if you get there, you want to go as far as you can. Um, I think strength and conditioning coaches overthink this one quarters. Do you? I really do, yeah. They, they, they put their teams into heavy workloads at this time of the year thinking it's going to have some benefit at the end of the year. Well, you've got to get there first. Yeah. Um, you know, like I think it tends to work more with the top-end clubs, though, doesn't it? What if Geelong had lost last weekend? Yeah. They were three goals away from losing to the bottom team. Um, what if they lose that? And what if that's the difference between them finishing fourth and fifth and they have to go on the road um, three of the four weeks in, in finals, which basically means they're 
very unlikely to win the flag. I think get there, um, get there in the best shape you can get there in. Um, you know, if you go into heavy training loads, there's a chance you lose one or two to fatigue injuries or stress-related injuries or those sorts of things. Yeah, I, I think, you know, try and look after the health of your, your team. I reckon Sydney in 2005 just trained to recover for most of the year. They got to September in really good shape and they played really well in September. I think there's a good message in that and um, let's not try and get too clever on those things. Okay, I've got two in the clubhouse stuff. I've got Troy Simmons from Tuesday. He sent in that very good email about the um, how tough the round is, you know, 1v2, 3v5, 4v6, etc., etc. I thought it was a very good email. And the other one's got to be your Seinfeld man, doesn't Seinfeld. it? Seinfeld. Now, you know which way I'm leaning. Yeah, I think we've got to honour Seinfeld, don't we? The sea like, was angry that day, my friend, like an old man sitting <laughs> back soup in a deli. <laughs> Zach... I, it's all yours. <laughs> Please send your details here. Send your mail to Duff and Quarters at wanews.com.au. All right. Thank you very much for joining us today. We have been brought to you by TabTouch. Those with the touch, you can better your bet by downloading the TabTouch app today. Please gamble responsibly. Please call Gambler's Help on 1800 858 858 if you encounter any difficulties. Quarters. Thank you very much. Um, We hope we've tipped you a couple of winners. It's going to be tough this weekend. We hope your team goes well. And we'll be back on Tuesday to run the ruler over another AFL round. If you're a fan of the podcast, why don't you get in touch? Send your thoughts to the Thirsty Camel mailbag at duffandquarters at wanews.com.au. And don't forget to like, subscribe, and, of course, tell your mates. Thanks for listening. This has been the Duff and Quarters podcast on the game. You know who? It's unbelievable.